Joining us now from somewhere near Heartland is our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hello, Al. How are you this morning? Hey, I'm uh, I'm good. Uh, I hope I hope everybody's okay. I do want to say rest in peace uh, to a couple of people. Bruce Davis. Yes. I spoke with some folks at uh, at church on Sunday about the St. Peter tornado and their memories, and they were uh, bringing it up because well, Heartland had one here a little while ago, mm-hmm. and you know, on most days, John Prine is my favorite musician slash singer songwriter and uh, i know folks that like music and who doesn't uh, probably know we all have a favorite but on certain days we have something else we want to listen to and that becomes our favorite for a day but overall john prine and i appreciated bruce uh, playing a lot of john prine and yeah. i appreciated you playing john prine he's just amazing the other one is uh, millie Westland, a friend from hayward uh, who uh, went to her funeral, I forget what day it was, but uh, each year she would call to report when the Purple Martins uh, arrived at uh, their houses there in Hayward, and also she'd give Robin reports, no matter when she saw them, in the middle of winter or when the first migrating ones in. And boy, folks, you know, you, you really miss people that uh, are important in your life, and uh, both Bruce and Millie were, so I will miss them. Uh, greatly, and uh, I just thank thank them for uh, making my life better. So it's it's nice, and I hope everyone had a wonderful wonderful Christmas. I uh, got a wonderful Christmas gift, and went then I think my best would have been when the tornado hit here that nobody was injured. It just uh, it's an amazing thing that that happened, and I'm just uh, I just. Uh, so thankful each and every day. Uh, the biggest Christmas gift for me, he, other than that, would probably be just spending time with my family. Man, mm-hmm. I love my family, and it's just, and it's, it's a family, and the stories that come along. You know, uh, a nephew and I were talking about the old home place, and we don't. None of us in the family ever saw where the house was before the house we were familiar with, but we were talking about finding things and thinking it might be here. And it was just all these stories that remind you of so many things. A sister-in-law gave me a piece of black licorice. That was, <laughs> actually, she gave me a couple pieces, and she tried to get me more, but it was just enough because I love black licorice. It just, uh, as a kid growing up, Everybody wanted uh, Twizzlers red licorice. Ah. And Twizzlers was a kind you could hit it on your desk and it broke in a million pieces <laughs> because by the time I got to our store, apparently it had some age to it. But I loved black licorice and I didn't have to fight everybody off to eat it when I brought it to school. Not everybody wanted it. I loved spending time with my wife and she made uh, some Oh, man, the great barbecue ribs that we had on uh, one day of Christmas here. And then seeing my grandkids being excited with their gifts. Boy, it doesn't get any better than that, just to have them happy, you know. And uh, it was, there were some surprises. They, they, you know, modern-day kids, they give you a list. I, uh, <laughs> they when do. I was a kid, we, <laughs> yeah, we got Montgomery Wards, our Monkey Wards catalog. Or the Sears. And then we... 
Yeah, and we'd circle things in there as a subtle hint, but it, that didn't mean you were uh, probably going to get that or not. But it's still, you just thought, well, Mom can't miss that. And uh, so we didn't, uh, I don't remember getting hints. I remember going to see Santa Claus in Heartland, who was Merle Wakefield, my neighbor. And I'd go up and say, hi, Merle, and he'd give me a glare and say, I'm, I'm Santa. And then I'd <laughs> ask him for a uh, for a basketball or something, and then he'd, shift me over the elf who gave me that little brown bag filled with ancient peanuts a an apple that had so much wax on it a red apple that it made it had tougher skin than any politician on earth ever had and then that candy that hard candy that uh, the the rumor was that the city of Heartland would use it to patch the potholes in the street. Do you mean the wavy what? hard candy? It looked like waves. Oh, that stuff. That ribbon. Yeah, the ribbon. ribbon because when we had our church program, after every church program, we get a bag, a little bag, like a lunch size bag, brown bag, and it would be filled with an apple, a whole bunch of peanuts, and a whole bunch of that ribbon hard candy, which would always never be eaten. So I have no idea, yeah. but. But it's one of those things that they, I guess it was tradition, so they kept on doing it or maybe recycling it. I have no idea. It was uh, sponsored by dentists, cavity-inducing <laughs> stuff. And they, they had the little Christmas tree barrels. You remember those? They had a Christmas tree on the end of oh. just a tiny little barrel-like candy. And they, you know, I got all that stuff. And there was nothing good in there that I, I just couldn't wait to get. But, it look, it was wonderful. It really was. There was something just going in there, and we had to be prodded to ask Merle what we wanted because we didn't know the, how much we should ask for. And Mom would always say, just, you know, ask for one thing. <laughs> so it was pretty much a basketball every year. Aww. But it, it, it was wonderful getting all those that stuff that you weren't even sure you really wanted and you joked how terrible like I'm doing now it was but man it was it was great the feeders were bustling here and I, I could hear voices around Christmas you know we do hear voices sometimes from empty chairs you eat like a bird an aunt was fond of telling me when I picked up my food when I was a boy and I I was trying to locate and disarm anything that might have been good for me. You know how that is. You go through the hot dish and say, oh, that looks like uh, that might be good for me. I'll put that over the pile here. And my my aunt would just, and it wasn't just one aunt. You know, I think every aunt was taught to say, you eat like a bird. And I didn't eat like a bird because a chickadee might eat 35% of its weight of food Ooh. each day. A and a blue jay, which is a light eater, maybe 10% of its weight. Generally, the smaller the bird, the greater percentage of its body weight is its daily food intake. They need more calories, of course, in cold weather. So when we get cold weather, then the feeders are bustling. It was 20 degrees, and I watched house sparrows. They were taking baths, inappropriately a bird bath, and the members of this avian polar bear club plunged in, flew out, shook off the water, and warmed up. I've heard of several instances through all these many years when a bird suffered from bathing in freezing temps. They're just, uh, they've been rare instances that I've heard about them. And that might have been due to the steam produced by bird bath water heater. You know, perhaps the birds were ill. And I see songbirds bathing in 
naturally occurring water in winter. I remember one very, very cold day, and I can't recall the exact temperatures, but it was you didn't want to have the window down very often while we were doing the Christmas bird count. And we watched chickadees. There was uh, water dripping off a branch, and it was falling into a little, just a tiny little space, about the size of a small pizza that was open. And chickadees were going down there and taking baths. So... There's usually no steam to worry about there, but birds have instincts and anatomy on their side. And more power to the members of the Polar Bear Club, that uh, human members that do that, but, you know, I'm not going to join them. A fox squirrel found its way to the roof of her house with a thump, and it began running laps and sounded like something between an immense buffalo herd or, or per- maybe wingtip shoes in a dryer. I mentioned on the radio one day that birding isn't rocket science, and then I heard from a guy that I birded with in North Dakota who is an actual rocket scientist who disputed that. Glenn Rave of Fairmont saw 20 trumpeter swans in the Sager Lake area in Martin County. Denny Pressure called after the show last week. He's uh, from New Richland, a former classmate and just a, a great guy. He said, what a treat to listen and have those shared memories. Thank you, Denny. Uh, Denny dropped off some bird seed. He, in oh. his, uh, yeah, it was awfully nice of him. Uh, Paul Peters of Fairmont sent me a photo of two Cecropia moths that he had taken this summer. Uh, Sid Stivlin said, I own one of those squirrel-proof bird feeders that ejects uninvited guests from the feeder with a battery-powered motorized perch that spins intruders off into space. However, due to deferred maintenance or senior memory, whatever, the battery discharged and ceased to function. So it became necessary to fetch the unit on the only cold day we have had, of course, charge the battery and hang it back up. It needed cleaning anyway. After I went back up, one of the guests tried to take advantage of the situation, but was immediately ejected. This was expected, but now it's three days later, and a guest is still testing my resolve. Now the game in my household is to explain why this is happening. So far, the candidates are as follows. Number one, poor observation skills. Since our yard attracts many guests with a buffet, Perhaps all the guests have to test it, thinking it can't happen to me since I am smarter, braver, more clever than the others. Two, they enjoy it. This is my wife's vote. The theory goes that getting spun off attracts an adrenaline-addicted guest who is repeating the behavior because it is fun. Three, slow learner, self-explanatory. Four, insanity. Some clever person reportedly once said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, maybe. I vote for persistence, something we can all do better at. Uh, John and Chris Hockema found a first county record Townsend Solitaire in Goodhue County near the... Uh, Oh, it's a river terrace, I believe, boat launch. It's an SNA there. Tom Steinman sent me a trail cam. You know, I get a lot of uh, trail cam photos. This one was incredible. What a lovely photo. It was a lovely photo of a raptor feeding on a frozen squirrel. 
It was a rough-legged hawk, and this handsome raptor will eat carrion in the winter, as uh, many birds that don't typically eat carrion will do so in the winter because it's just tough going sometimes. Tough sledding. Do you have a trail cam? I mean, it seems like you would be the type of guy that would want to have one to see what else you could see in the nature. I I do. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, none of mine ever will turn out as good as Tom's did. Oh. I, I don't know how that worked. Maybe, I don't know if he has a nicer one or, you know, sometimes you, you take a million photos with your uh, phone and there's a couple in there that are just incredible. They're sharp and they, maybe that's, I, I'm, Tom's got a secret there and he's not telling me, so. <laughs> But it was just a uh, rough-legged hawks. I think they are one of our. I just they are so beautiful. They take my breath away. Uh, listener says, Al, where do birds go at night during the winter? Well, as I mentioned earlier in this broadcast, birds have an they have anatomy and instincts on their side, so they find a protected place to roost where they're sheltered from the weather and safe from predators. This could be cavities, tree trunks or branches, buildings or dense evergreens. I've watched pheasants and turkeys fly high into trees and hunker down for the long night. Crows form communal roosts, usually in cities where they get a that urban heat island going for them. Uh, waterfowl will rest on water. There are outliers like grouse and red poles that burrow into the snow. Us, you know, people, we get puffier in the winter. We <laughs> don puffy coats. And birds tend to get puffier in winter. A, word, a bird's body heat warms the air between its feathers. So birds fluff up in the cold to trap air in their feathers. And the more trapped air, the warmer the bird, and so they make do. Uh, Chad Hines saw Ross's goose in Lesseur County. Uh, Steve Hudek saw a yellow-bellied sapsucker in Lesseur County. Ronald Erpelding saw a Townsend solitaire and a golden crown kinglet in Renville County. Chad Hines also saw a field sparrow in Nicollet County. And Brian Smith, a hermit thrush in Renville County. Amos Vogel of Morgan asked, he said, this is a kid's joke, but where does it go? And it's, where does the white go when the snow melts? <laughs> and, I, you know, it's not just kids thinking about that. I've thought about that. said, boy, the whole yard was white, and now it's not. Snow looks white because the ice crystals reflect light better than water does. Water transmits light, allowing it to pass through. So the microscopically rough surface of ice crystals act as tiny mirrors. Light is scattered instead of passing through. When something reflects all the colors of light and doesn't absorb any, you see an object as white. So snow looks white. Snow has so many ice particles that the light bounces around until it combines again and is reflected as white light. When the snow melts into water, There are no more ice particles to bounce the light off and reflect as white light. So most of the light passes through the water unreflected. Hmm. I did a Christmas bird count with Terry Dorsey of Austin, a retired teacher there. If teachers ever are retired, I don't think they are. Uh, We talked about many things, and Terry told me of his love of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
and he asked if I knew how to prevent the peanut butter from sticking to the roof of my mouth. Uh, I I didn't, but he divulged his secret. He eats the sandwich upside down, and that <laughs> might prove helpful one day or, or not. Probably, yeah, I don't know. Al, uh, do you know yeah. what the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth is called? Oh, I've heard it, and I don't. It's arachibotrophobia. Because my there dad, my dad had that, and I, I just thought that was because I love peanut butter. I could eat it all day long, but he would not eat peanut butter because he was afraid of it getting stuck to the roof of his mouth, or so he had arachidophobia. But he didn't mind peanut butter cookies. He loved those because, well, it was a little different form. What? But anyway, I stick? there's a there's a phobia for everything, I guess. There, there is, and. I, I think it was Catherine Hepburn, I, I hope I'm right on that, that had a peanut butter sandwich for lunch every day, and somebody said, you know, you got the money, why don't you eat <laughs> something else? And she said, I like peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I could eat peanut butter three meals a day. I, I love peanut butter. There's just nothing bad about peanut butter at all. Do you know, I would change up the kind of bread I put it on so well, it would be three different meals. I don't eat it with bread. I just take M&M's and dip it in the peanut butter, and then that's oh. how I eat it. That's the best. M&M's and peanut butter? Oh, so good. That You know, I, I oh. said if I was in a prison and I had to, you know, my last meal, I would request peanut butter with M&M's and a glass of skim milk and then I'd be I'd be fine. I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to die. I had what I needed. <laughs> oh, I just had a willy run up and down my spine just thinking about that. I'm, what? It, you don't I, like M and M's and peanut butter? Oh, I don't like M and M. I don't like chocolate. Oh, and, um, wow. I oh. asked I I asked my wife for uh, what she would like for Christmas in Karen. It was M and M's. Oh, That's really? What she asked for. Oh, she's awesome. I got her. Uh, I got her a 75-pound bag of M&M's. So <laughs> I'll be over, Gail. to drag it in from the car. <laughs> yeah. No, oh. I got her one of the... I don't know how big those bags are, though. Ones you see on the shelves. Sure. So, and she's ha- happy with that. But, no, man, I just... Oh, I, it'll take me a while to clear that from my brain, that M&M's and peanuts. But well, you know what's funny is... Butter. Some people, you know, with taste buds, because they say cilantro, like I like cilantro and things, but apparently too. there's a percentage of people that when they eat cilantro, it tastes like soap, so they hate it. Oh. And, and I don't remember, it's a lower percent, 11% or something like that. So I guess it's just weird taste bud things that makes us all different, which is probably good, makes the world go round. We, uh, we're talking off air about um, folks... It's suffering from cancer, and I know that just disrupts taste buds so oh. much. Uh, it, when I was going through chemotherapy, friends would give me caramels, the, like the homemade caramels, oh, yeah. are, or or caramels, some people might call them. They're so good, but they tasted like uh, metallic fillings and oh. teeth. Uh, you know, so things, taste buds for everybody's different, and then if you're going through any kind of thing, that just disrupts taste buds. And uh, a listener said, "Why don't turkey vultures stay here all winter?" Yeah, you you look at them, you say, oh, "I bet that guy he he could take the cold." Well, turkey vultures, they have a big bill, but they still lack the bill necessary to pierce the thick height of dead animals. They would prefer fresh carcasses, but sometimes they have to wait for the skin to soften. 
And since most roadkill creatures suffer wounds that create large gashes or openings in the body cavity, the mangled remains are an ideal source of food for a vulture. Or when coyotes come in and they tear open the remains of a, a deer, it prepares a carcass for a vultures visit. It's like the one at Christmas that slices up the ham. That's what a coyote is for a vulture. But when the weather is freezing, the bills of vultures aren't powerful enough to break into the frozen carcasses to feed. So vultures migrate south to warmer temperatures where uh, food that they can actually eat is available to them. They, so they move south not only in response to a drop in temperature, but also because of snow cover, winter storms, and because frozen carcasses are hard for them to eat. Well-fed individuals are cold-hardy in captivity, so they could take the cold. The vulture culture is to purge the landscape of carrion. So this member of nature's cleanup crew is more than an avian garbage disposal unit. Their teetering presence in the sky is a beautiful thing to see for anybody willing to look. I want to mention Micah sent me a... Uh, it was a video of a hawk scattering birds and squirrels. And it was, oh, if you've seen them around feeders and things, you know those birds, those those hawks, are they're feathered jets. They just whoom through there. And it was an excipiter, so it was either a cooper's hawk or a sharp shin. Uh, but, uh, but I'm sorry, Mike, I can't tell you which one it was because it was so quick. And you know how it is sometimes when you try to slow videos down, it just uh, produces gigantic pixels and Mm -hmm. things, and it's really hard to tell. So I have failed you, Micah. I apologize. It was definitely an excipiter, and it was uh, the squirrels were probably frightened by it, maybe just because of all the action of all the birds leaving. They're probably not so worried about that bird as would all those songbirds because that is what that hawk is planning on feeding on. So uh, again, Micah, thank you so much. I appreciate you for sending that. It was uh, it was cool to see, even though if I was a little bird, I would not be very happy to see that. That would be a, a, a scary thing to see that coming in. And they like birds feeding on the ground, it seems. Uh, I, I, I don't have any statistics or scientific report, but it seems like they have a better shot coming in at a bird that's on the ground, and that bird has to get airborne and fly away. So it gives the hawk a bigger window to knock that bird down. So it's uh, it, it it's great. I appreciate everybody sending the videos and stuff. And boy, I wish I could identify every bird on those. I will say this: uh, cell phone cameras have got so much better care. And I remember back in the day when people would send me this photo, and there'd be a little black dot in the middle of the lawn, and they'd say, "What? What is this?" And you know, you, I couldn't tell. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell if it was a bird or not. <laughs> now they're so good. It's scary in such a short period of time how that technology has just improved so, so much. I remember getting, a, I think it was called a Sony Mavica, and it ran on, a, it had a floppy disk, and you could get 10 or 12 photos in one, and you could use them in columns and things. 
And those that I thought were so amazing don't come close to matching what you can get out of the cell phone in your pocket oh, yeah. today. It, it's just, uh, and boy, I would strut around with that camera thinking. <laughs> I'm pretty cool. <laughs> I am on the cutting edge, and I was for about a day or so, and then something else better came along and kind of dispelled any notion that I really was there. I hope everyone will have a happy, happy, happy three, at least three happies, uh, New Year. Uh, 2022 uh, it'll be great it'll be amazing and uh, I just hope everybody hope everybody stays healthy that's that's a big thing it's just I've lost too many people in my life in 2021 uh, important people and it's just it is so sad you know the the it's just that saying goodbye has become difficult because of all the various things going around and some decide to have it family only and all these kind of things come into play and it's just it's hard you, you don't get the you don't get to say a proper goodbye i you guess know, is what it is my dad as he got older he always used to say Every morning I get up now, I look in the obituaries, and I, I look to see if, if my name isn't in there, then I know i got to get up and do stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yep. And he, he passed away at the age of 75. He, he had a heart, heart attack, so, you know, he, he died how he wanted to, just to just go. Because he always used to say to me, Karen, if I am ever end up in a nursing home at, like a vegetable, he says, I want you to come and just shoot me. And I'm like, Dad? Then we would have other issues, and... <laughs> I don't think that's a, that's a good idea, so thank goodness he didn't die that I'd have to do that. My dad said the exact same thing. Oh, did he? Uh, although, yeah, he told me just to push him out onto the highway where he oh. might get hit by a truck or oh, something. My. He didn't. So, but he wanted to die on the farm. Yep. Leon Schoenrock from New Richland just got a hold of me, and he said that his mother years ago read in the Mankato paper somebody with exactly her... Exactly her name died oh. Oh. in the obituary. So I w- that would give you quite a start, you know. Right. Schoenrock isn't, and her first name wasn't, you know, that common probably. So to see your name in there, I guess if your name was Bob Johnson or something, you'd probably yeah. be used to it. But this was, it gave her quite a start. So I just, I, I, as I would expect it would. So, Al, I wanted to ask you, I asked you at the beginning of the show, Cher, what was your favorite Christmas present this year, besides being together with your family and all those good things? Yeah, uh, you mean actual, uh, not that everybody lived through the tornado and everything yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, you know, I I love food items and uh, those barbecued ribs. Oh. And I know a lot of people wouldn't uh, classify black licorice maybe as food, but boy, those two are so tasty. It's just, black licorice. Oh. Do you know that the main ingredients in licorice is wheat, so I can't eat them? Oh, man. Which uh, I thought was the weirdest thing. I'm like, oh, I'm sure that I could eat licorice, right? But no, it's it's made of wheat. I guess that's the binder. Well, I got a um, these cool things called farmer's sleeves. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but... It, you can put them on and it makes your entire arm look like it's tattooed with cool stuff on it. But they're to protect your arms from the sun and also from, you know, plants that might rub up and cause rashes or things like that. So I got what's called farmer sleeves. They uh, have a little hook on the, your thumb and you pull them up and they go all the way up to your shoulder. Because in the summer, of course, it's hot. So they also keep you 
cooler because you don't have to wear long sleeves and they protect you from the sun. And then I got, uh, they have a seaweed design on. So I look like I'm kind of tough with my seaweed designed arms. They look like they're all tattooed from my wrist to my shoulder. And then I got a matching hat that's uh, got uh, also. So so that was just kind of one of those fun things that uh, you can use when I go outside and, and look silly when I'm outside in the garden. You look like one of the cool kids now. Yeah, with the right. Tattoos and everything out there. So, yeah. <laughs> right, that'll be me. So, yeah, it was it was fun, and the boys had had a great time for for Christmas too. We didn't get them any electronics. I'm sure they would have liked that, but we got some good old fashioned games. So we were playing good old fashioned board games, and um, you know that's kind of fun to do nowadays too. And and teach them that it doesn't all have to be electronics. I got um, a gift card for some books. That oh I'll yeah. Pick out myself because uh, you know they said uh, you have so many books they've given up just getting me a book because it's typically something that I have. I don't say that, oh, but right. They yeah. fi- they figured out and some long sleeve t-shirts advertising. Well, I shouldn't say advertising. Uh, uh, supporting schools that I have grandchildren. Yeah. Oh. So I, I I like long sleeve t-shirts. Are they They're Minnesota great. State ones? Some are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I can strut around. Uh, I didn't get any tattoos or fake cat tattoos or anything, <laughs> but I'll still I, I can still look pretty cool. Yes, you can. I want to thank everybody for sitting on the front porch with uh, Karen and me, not just for today, but for an uh, entire year. You, uh, I wish it was in my power to give you some form of great medal for for doing that. <laughs> I rang the bells for the Salvation Army in a couple places, and I greeted people by telling them how happy I was to see them and hope they'd find happy surprises in their day. And I thanked those who donated, and I thanked those who did not, because they did something nice, I'm sure. In January, cold enough for you will replace hello as a greeting. One year I answered my landline for a week in January that way. I'd pick it up and say, cold enough for you? <laughs> and no one said anything about me being stranger than normal. They just said, hey, Al, yeah, I'm calling about this or something. They just it went right over. <laughs> you know, earlier in the day, when I, one of the days when I was ringing bells, I sat at a table with friends, and as we ate breakfast, I noticed I had an elbow on the table. One man wore a hat, and another looked at his cell phone, and I wondered what my mother would have said. No elbows on the table. Heard that right off. And take off that hat. It makes you look silly. And then what in the world is that thing you're looking at? The world changes so quickly. I'm glad that all of you are still here with us. I appreciate you very, very much. Uh, remember, Heartland, as while we're driving past, we're recovering from that tornado rapidly. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Well, it's always great to chat with you. Uh, until uh, next year, I guess, uh, Happy New Year. I look forward to talking to you then. All right. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye.